0: don't settle for what you think the business needs to be Build the business you want to have.
1: This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. Here at the Entrepreneur House, we're always looking for ways to help entrepreneurs grow. This February 2018, we've co created an event like no other. Imagine yourself completely unplugged from the digital world with no access to Wi Fi or cell reception on a pure digital detox in the mountains of Brazil. Introducing our newest event, Digital Detox Camp 2018. Digital Detox Camp is the first weekend after Brazilian Carnival and packed full of high level. Mass- masterminds, business and lifestyle workshops, organic food, breathtaking views, campfires, hiking, swimming, waterfalls, yoga, many more activities, and a lot of time to clear our active minds. Disconnect from the digital world and reconnect to the real world. We have a special early bird offer for our listeners that expires January 15th, 2018. If you're ready to join us, be sure to visit TheEntrepreneurHouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the show of today. And am I ever excited for this episode? Today, we welcome the co-founder of Empire Flippers Justin Cook to the show I've known Justin and his company for some time now, and I've had the opportunity to watch Empire Flippers grow over the past few years. Currently, Justin and his team have sold over $35 million in online business. They're listed on Inc. Magazine's Top 500 Businesses for the past two years and brokered around 1,800 businesses altogether. Throughout the episode, Justin gets into the specifics of buying and selling websites and why you might want to consider looking at these types of opportunities. Later in the show, Justin shares about the process of building a seven-figure location location-independent business, and some of the challenges of keeping it location-independent. Without further ado, let's hop into the show. Justin Cook, welcome to the Entrepreneur House Podcast, my friend. How are you?
0: Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And
1: I hear you're reporting live from Medellin, Colombia.
0: I am. Medellin, Colombia. My first time in South America. I'm normally hanging out in Southeast Asia with our Southeast Asian friends and crew, um, but we had a meetup, our company meetup, where we got everyone together over here in Medellin for the month of November. So we're coming up on the tail end of that, uh, working you know with our team and, and checking out the place.
1: So is your where's your team located most of the time, or they're they're spread out all over? Or?
0: My business partner has a uh, place, kind of a home base in Manila. Uh, my wife and I travel, and then the rest of our team travels around. So we've got a couple guys that are in medellin there's a guy in uh you know taipei right now you know we've got guys in in vietnam so they kind of you know go wherever and then a couple of times a year we all get together and um, the next time will be in april uh in the philippines so we'll all kind of migrate toward the philippines hang out for a few weeks up to a month and then kind of go our separate ways again so we get the the benefit there's like this camaraderie that comes with having your team together and like working together. Like you wouldn't like maybe a traditional office, Mm -hmm. but we get to do it in like cool locations and villas. (laughs) And then you get some freedom too. In that after that you can take off and kind of go explore the world a bit. And then we all get back together again a few months later and it, it really works for our
1: company. Do you feel like that time that you guys are together, that you're more productive than you normally would be if it was just a regular team in the office all the time?
0: We do because everyone comes in with that intention. Like, uh-huh. you know, you take a little bit of time beforehand to kind of clear your head and to like put kind of your thoughts together on what you want to get done. And then we're all together, we're just like banging it out. And especially for projects that require like collaboration across departments. So if I've got a marketing project that needs a little bit of sales and a little bit of development help it's great to have everyone there together so that we can work on it. It can be slower when you're doing it remote. So what we've noticed though, we normally do them for a month and we're changing that next year to be two to three weeks max. The reason is by the third and fourth week, Just everyone's kind of drained, (laughs) everyone's kind of drained. And so everyone starts dragging and it's just not as effective as it is like the first couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, I do, I've done a lot of these entrepreneur houses and for a while they were always four weeks. And I noticed that like the first two, first week everybody's gung-ho, second week everybody's, you know, ramped up also. Then the third week there's always this dip amongst the group and i would have to find creative ways to make sure that the fourth week or at least the last four or five days we did something to really get them excited about their time there and um since i've shortened it down to uh i just did one in chiang mai that was 12 days since i shortened it there was no dip and it was just gung-ho like at it bad for 12 days and by the end actually they continued on their own they were like yeah we still want to work so they went on a, a third week on their own to do some more productivity stuff and it, and it's interesting how that happened um, they just kept it going
0: those guys are troopers man I, you know i now that we're mentioning it you know I, I i didn't see it before but there are some serious parallels uh, between kind of what we do with our meetups and the entrepreneur house right i mean that's mm-hmm. your idea is to get people together for an amazing amount of work and that's generally what we're doing internally it's funny that you came to similar conclusions about the two weeks versus the full month um We should probably uh, swap some notes in the not too distant future about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here, Justin. Let's uh, rewind a bit. So, you're running Empire Flippers. When did you start Empire Flippers?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a weird story. We, um, you know, my business partner and I were mid-level managers for a company in the U.S. Uh and it was an SEO company doing local SEO for you know plumbers and, and. chiropractors and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and uh you know we had had previous experience with virtual assistants in the philippines and we were hiring people like crazy in the u.s and so we were at an outback steakhouse um and uh having a few drinks and we were saying look why don't we start to hire some people in the philippines and we'll start to set up a company to basically work with our employers and so you know, we kind of just sketched it out at the bar, and then over the next week or two, we put together the plan and brought it to our CEO, CFO, and they went for it. Mm-hmm. So we set up you know, what was effectively an outsourcing company in the Philippines while we were still in the U.S. Um, over time, we eventually moved over there and started running the outsourcing company. Uh, within a year, they had dropped. Um, they cut back on people, and we would added some new clients, but we just weren't growing in the way we wanted, so we were looking for other things to do, and one of the things we started doing was we looked to online businesses, and and one of the things we tried was kind of building websites online that made money through like AdSense, um, you know, and, and, and clicks. So what, we started what year was this, websites. Justin? Sorry. This, yeah, sorry. Yeah, we we set up the outsourcing company in uh, 2008, okay. and then at the end of 2010, we started uh, building small websites that would earn a little bit of money. And we did that through 2010, 2011. So our business started off with us building our own sites and then eventually coming to the idea to sell them off. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to scale the process, we wanted to grow it quickly, and it's a cash flow burden when you're constantly spending money on building new sites. So we've realized that if you can sell some of these sites off, as little mini assets or businesses, we could take that cash, that future cash, and then reinvest it in the process. So we did that again and again, and we kept building out our own sites. Eventually, we were building so many of these sites and selling quite a few that you know people came to us, and they said, hey, you've got this you know, big audience now people looking to buy websites. Can we sell your website you know, with you? And so this was around 2012 or so when we made a transition to allowing other people to sell their sites. Um, eventually, that's the real part of our business that took off, and we dumped everything else. So we stopped creating <laughs> our own sites. We stopped offering these products and services. We had all these extra side projects. We were doing Twitter backgrounds at one point, and we had this, yeah, just you know, these like side. You know, you know how it gets. You you want to dabble, right? Yeah. We had all these things going on, and we dumped everything. and uh, And that was like two thousand thirteen or so, two thousand fourteen. And then our, our job was really just Empire Flippers, which was you know, brokering other people's online businesses. and We started off doing 4,000, you know, sorry, four-figure websites, and now we're up into the, the seven figures in terms of the, the deals that we're doing.
1: Yeah, I noticed. I, I was checking out your website, and you've got quite a few of them that, that you're selling for over seven figures. Up to this date, Justin, how many websites have you guys sold?
0: Um, more than 1,000. Probably close to... It's tough. Maybe eighteen hundred or so. If you include the websites we've sold ourselves, yeah. we've brokered more than a thousand deals, though.
1: have done. And it, we're uh, doing
0: about maybe two fifty to three fifty a year currently. Wow!
1: And it, is this number still correct on the website? It said over thirty-five million dollars of online businesses.
0: Yep, that's right. More than, uh, all time, more than thirty-five million. We're uh, about half of that um, will be this year. So we're going to do around 18 million or so nice. in website and online business sales in uh,
1: 2017,
0: which is double, about double we did last year. We did, I think, nine, and then the year before that was like 4.7.
1: That's awesome. So, well, I want to ask you when you were you were first building this out, how did you determine? When you first started connecting to buyers and to sellers, how did you determine what was a good percentage to give yourself as a broker?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So. You know, we were building and selling our own sites, and we were keeping everything. So if we built a site and sold it for you know, $6,000, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing was ours, right? So we actually had some concerns about actually uh, <laughs> letting other people sell on our platform. So if they sell their $6,000 site and we were at 15%, that's only $900 to us, right? right. Um, so it was tough. We were, we were trying to consider what we should, what we should do to, in terms of percentage. And we looked at some of the other people that were out there. So there's a, a company called Flippa. And they're kind of like the eBay of like buying and selling websites. Uh, you know, they they don't do any vetting of the business. They don't help you with the sales process, and they don't do anything with the um, um, in in migrating the business from the seller to the buyer. And they were charging at the time, I think, ten percent. That's not fifteen percent. So we said, look, if they're doing like virtually nothing for you in terms of helping get the deal done. seems pretty reasonable. And so we started with that and then continued on with that uh, through today.
1: Okay. So when somebody comes to you with their website, kind of walk us through the process. Like what do you do with them to get them to the point to to make sure it's a website that's worth selling for you guys and to get them to the point where you can put it on the market?
0: Yep. So we have a, like a sell your site page, which is, you know, it it will kind of walk you through what the minimums are. So if it's, E-commerce, it has to be making at least $1,000 a month. If it's AdSense or Amazon Associates, it needs to be making at least $500 a month in profit. It also talks about it needs to be up for a year and, and some of the other you know, industries that we don't get into. Um, so you can read about it there and then we talk about it on our blog and podcast. But um, you know, people that are that have heard about us or that have done us before, they go to the site and they click the button, they submit all their business information. Once they've submitted that, it goes to our team and you're now in the what we call the vetting process. So instead of just listing every business uh, that submits with us and letting them kind of state their own information, we have a team that reviews it. And what they look for are they want to make sure that the earnings that are claimed are actual earnings. So they're going to verify that. They're going to verify the traffic and the traffic sources. Uh, They're going to review the backlink profile if backlinks are involved. If it's an FBA business, obviously that wouldn't uh, wouldn't be included. But they're going to look at all the details of the business to make sure that what the seller is saying adds up. And then to also help the seller get it in a nice, clean, easy value proposition for buyers. Part of it is just, and you know this, but you know people have businesses and they, they're a little messy with their finances, <laughs> they're a little messy with, they're like, I think it makes this much money, but I don't really know. So yeah. we help them really nail it down and drill down their financial picture, their business, and then present it in a way that is you know beneficial for buyers. So we'll do the vetting process. Normally it takes anything from two to three weeks. Once that's done, then we'll get the business listed on our marketplace. Uh, if it's over 45,000, then we'll also do a seller interview with a seller where we do kind of like a podcast interview where we do an audio interview with them to get them to review the history of the business and you know how it works, and, and buyers really appreciate that. So you know we have a list of, I think, don't quote me, it's 40,000 40, or so um, people on our email list that are interested in businesses. We list brand new businesses every Monday. Uh, Today is a Monday. We had I think six or seven new businesses go live. So every Monday morning, we put the new businesses live, and then we have um, a lot of our buyers dig through those emails and look through our marketplace and and start looking at the businesses that make sense for them.
1: If I'm a buyer and I'm looking to buy a website, right? Some guy unloads their website or wants to sell their website what would be the benefits for me to go on to empire flippers and find a website that i can then run
0: what buy versus build yeah yeah so uh, if you're brand new just starting off and you have like zero experience running a website or an online business buying can be a, a scary proposition and not always the best one right mm-hmm um if you have very little cash if you have, for example less than ten thousand dollars you're probably better off to, to, to spend in the business you're probably better off starting from scratch and just building a business from scratch um, there are people though that have you know more money than time and so they're in a position where you know they've got some skills let's say they've run you know a, a WordPress uh, uh, Amazon associate site before they've had a Shopify commerce business before but they don't want to take the year, or two years, or two and a half years it'll take to kind of get that business traction, and they've got cash to kind of buy their way in. So what they're looking for are businesses that have already had that bit of success. You have sellers that you know have built a business, got it a little bit of traction. Maybe it's making you know it's an e-commerce business doing twenty thousand dollars a month in sales. They've got a twenty-five percent you know profit margin, so they're making five thousand dollars a month in the business. It's a nice little business. But you know, it's it's the biz, b- biggest business they've ever built, and they don't really know how to take it any further. And then, on the other hand, you have someone who's owned much larger businesses or has worked for much larger online e-commerce businesses, and sees this small business in their eyes. Says, "Yeah, I'm willing to put $130,000 on that. I'm going to buy myself $5,000 a month in monthly cash flow, and I think I can double or triple this business inside of two to three years because it's still really small." So, there's a really, uh, like, a I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a disconnect in perception. You have sellers who often say, you know, this business is as big as it gets, and, you know, I, I can't, I don't think I can build it anymore. I've maximized my channels. And then you have buyers who come along and say, oh, that's a nice little business you've built. <laughs> Let me drop some cash on this on the purchase and then expand it to be the type of larger, mid sized, you know, e you know, commerce business that I know it could be. So, because of that kind of like miss understanding there's a reason for a marketplace, there's a reason for our business.
1: So is this a, like a valued retirement option for a lot of people?
0: Possibly, you know, I, I, yes, um, it it can be, but you have to have the right skill set. And I'll put this in terms of like my mom and my aunt, right? Uh Um, They're both interested. They're, reaching retirement age and they're looking for, you know, like supplemental income and things they can do. And so they've asked me, they said, Hey, can I run an online business? And I said, maybe, but not today. (laughs) So they, they don't have the skills. I mean, they've never worked with WordPress. They don't understand Shopify. They don't understand the platforms, traffic sources. You know, they're just not, you know, savvy when it comes to online businesses. Now, you don't have to be an expert, but you have to have some skills there. So generally, if they have no skills, I'd really recommend going to places like Authority Hacker, right, and kind of going through their course, Digital Marketer, going through some of these online courses that can get you up to speed, Mm -hmm. um, and then tackling something like that. So, you know, like, I I bring up my mom and my aunt just to point out the fact that, you know, if you have no idea, it's not a good idea for you to to buy, you're going to need to pick up some skills first. And generally, that involves... A knowledge of a CMS like a Shopify or a WordPress, um, and at least one traffic strategy, whether that's SEO or you know paid Facebook or whatever it is, you need to. to no one way at least to, to drive some traffic.
1: Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to help you scale your business rapidly. February 22nd this year, we will have an event like no other. Our digital detox camp in Brazil includes fireside masterminds, business and lifestyle workshops, hiking, swimming, natural springs, waterfalls, indoor rock climbing, and much, much more. Disconnect from the digital world to reconnect to the real world. If you're ready to unplug with other high caliber people, contact us ASAP at The entrepreneurhouse.com and now back to the show i'd like to ask you justin i'm sure you've had a lot of interesting stories slash businesses come come across your plate over the years what's one one of the most interesting businesses or stories that you've had that you can share
0: uh well i got one that was uh kind of interesting. I can't I can't talk about a lot of them publicly because they are, you know, non-disclosure uh-huh. agreements in place. Um one of them that was a public listing, we do some public sales. That was interesting was um it was called Rave Aid and okay. it was effectively an ecstasy hangover pill.
1: <laughs> okay. So,
0: so, you know, you go to the raves, you get kind of crazy the next day you're not feeling so good, you take this pill from Rave Aid and it supposedly helps you. So you know, we were selling this business and ended up selling it to the the buyer. And my understanding of the business, I was not so keen on it. You know, I was like, because mm-hmm. I knew what the seller was doing, and I knew that he was like involved in the forums and all the like rave communities and stuff. And yeah, that's cool. But the, I figured the buyer would have to be into that. So I remember kind of walking away from the deal, thinking, you know, well. Um, You know, he's going to have to do that and get all involved in the scene. And I I actually interviewed him for my podcast maybe a year, a year and a half later, and talked to him about that. And I said, you know, you must have gotten really involved in, like, the rave scene. He was like, what? No. I don't really do anything (laughs) with that. And I was shocked because, like, I had this kind of, like, I had this misconception that he was going to have to do what the seller continued to do Mm -hmm. or kind of, like, get more of the scene. And But he didn't. He just took – you know, like general business principles and, and his business philosophy and applied it to the business without necessarily getting into the niche all that much. He did well. I think he I think he grew the business like thirty percent or forty percent in the year since we'd spoken. So he had done well with the business and wasn't doing any of the things I thought he was gonna have
1: to <laughs> What kind of substance was that that cures Ecstasy hangovers. Do you uh, even know? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows this and
0: those things, man? There, there's another business. This guy that uh, that we know, he'd been to one of our retreats. You know, we do these like customer retreats once a year in Thailand, and rent out this villa and have a good time. Mm-hmm. He'd been to one of those, and he'd bought a. Uh, it was a drop shipping business from us, and I think he spent like yeah around twenty five, twenty eight thousand dollars in the business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we end up talking like a year and a half or two years later and uh, you know I was like how that how you know little drop shipping business work out for you he was like oh my god let me tell you about it so we, we talked about it he'd like 30xed it in that time wow um, he'd found a new channel uh, to sell through And, you know, the business is worth now it's like about three quarters of a million dollars with the sales it's doing. Uh So that's probably the best. And that's like inside of two years. So that's probably the best case I've heard of someone buying a business from us. and just absolutely crushing it in a fairly short amount of time. So, um, yeah, you can you can do quite well with this.
1: What would you say is, I guess, the turnover rate for you guys? Like how many websites get listed and get actually sold?
0: All time, we've sold more than ninety percent of the businesses we list. Maybe ninety-five percent, but definitely over Mm ninety percent. Usually, if they're like you know five to low six-figure businesses, they often like let's say under two hundred thousand. They generally sell inside of thirty days. Not always, but commonly sell inside of thirty days. Um, If they're let's say two hundred thousand to a million. They'll take it's not not usually less than thirty days. It's normally between like one to three months, one to four months, Um, and then the biggest one we sold, I think, was one point seven million. It took maybe seven months or so. Mm -hmm. So you know the larger deals take a little bit longer, and that that just kind of makes sense because um, you know there's less buyers right at that level. So and you have to come across the right buyer for the business, right? Like you have someone that's that's cashed up and maybe they've got investors or whatever. They've got three million to spend, but you know that business just isn't the right one for them. So they have to go to the next, you know, the next deal and, and take a look at that. So, um, so yeah, it takes a little bit longer for the larger ones. But again, that all depends. You know, you can sell a you know, three million dollar deal inside of two three months if the right buyer comes along at the right time. So, our goal uh, as Empire Flippers is for all of our listings and all of our sellers is to constantly be out in the market uh, giving education. Um, helping people you know understand uh, you know the online kind of business world helping people understand the benefits of buying so that we're constantly getting an influx of new uh, new buyers and new sellers on our platform
1: so i think this year you guys got ranked in under Inc. magazine top five hundred companies is that right
0: yeah man this year and the year before i think we were one sixty uh, something uh, in two thousand sixteen, and we were one seventy something in two thousand seventeen. Even though we grew more, which is weird, it just means that the guys <laughs> ahead of us did even better. People are working <laughs> harder.
1: How do you, yeah, how, do you sure. how do you get a recognition like that?
0: So we applied the first time. Um, so we submitted our business information, um, and then waited. And it took a couple weeks or a month. Something they got back to us, and there was some back and forth. They needed. Uh, some information from our accountant and they needed tax returns and and that kind of thing and so we I think if you're like top 500 they give you a closer look like they really want to verify your financials Mm -hmm. Um, and then you wait a couple of months and they let you know so (laughs) the first time we they let us know we were doing a customer retreat in Phuket and Mm -hmm. uh, we'd found out like a day or two before and then we have like a kind of a big closing party for the thing and And we were at this like club in Phuket, and then like it went up on the board. One of our guys, you know, talked to the DJ or talked to the the club people and got like our name on the board and everything. We're really really fired up. It's fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How many companies apply for that? I don't know.
0: I I don't really know. I know that um, it helps with like recognition, especially for people kind of outside of the online business space and kind of like definitely outside of like the digital nomad community. Um, it just helps for kind of recognition and like authority. But it also comes with it like, you know, once you're on that list, you're like just blasted with like marketing messages. Oh, I can so imagine, people yeah. people trying to sell their SaaS business or trying to, not, not their business, trying to sell their products and services to you and they just go down the list. You get in like just a <laughs> ton of lists for being on that list. So, you know, there's a, a bit of a blessing and a curse there.
1: <laughs> I could imagine. So I want to talk about, Building seven figure location independent businesses. And when you guys first, what year did you move to the Philippines? Uh, 2008. 2010. 2010. So you've been abroad seven years now and um, started out just kind of doing whatever you can to make it. And then hustling. Yeah, yeah, hustling, man. And over those seven years, maybe if you could give us some like, key lessons that you learn because I I really want to get to get to the heart of there's a lot of five and six figure entrepreneurs out there that are really trying to get to that seven figure level or seven figure trying to get to the eight figure and what do you think were the key things for you to run a business from the philippines that is remote turning into a business that is now ranked on Inc. magazine's top 500
0: Cool. Good, good question, Chris. I, I actually prefer these questions because, like, getting started, it's been a while, right? Yeah. Um, like the early hustles, like, it's more difficult for me to talk to, about because what happened then might not even work today. <laughs> True. Um, so, yeah, so when it comes to, like, building or growing a six-figure, seven-figure, a seven-figure, to eight-figure, seven eight which is what we're currently trying to do ourselves, um, you know, some of the things we realized, you know, when I was – when we were smaller, we were starting off, we heard things like culture and, like, we just thought, you know, people – you know, playing, you know, I don't know, like playing video games while they're at work. I would just thought it was like really weird and some startup culture-y bullshit, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, as we started to add a few more people to our team and a few more people to our team, we realized we were building culture without noticing it. And so we decided to become a little more intentional with that. Um, so I think, you know, When you're hiring, especially early on we hired apprentices, when you're hiring people that are going to be kind of leaders in your company, um, I think it's important to think about what kind of company you want that to be. And, And we were told many times, like, you'd be so much better off going to the U.S. and having an office in the U.S., but that wasn't part of like who we are, and it wasn't part of the business we wanted to build. So we, we kept in mind the kind of businesses, the kind of business we wanted to have, which was one that is run remotely, which allows the freedom and flexibility to move around and travel. So kind of keeping those core goals, I think, um, in line as you grow is important. And don't don't settle for what you think the business needs to be. Build the business you want to have. Um, I think hiring uh, and getting really good at hiring people. And kind of training and getting up the speed is, is critical. I know that, and I, I say this, you know, half jokingly, but you know, if we could have you know a business where it's literally just me, maybe my business partner, and we had zero people on the team and just millions of dollars raining down on us, like that sounds like an amazing business, right? <laughs> right. No people, <laughs> no hassle, just this like cash-producing machine. But most, you know, and, and, and most businesses aren't that way they require a team they require people they require other people working in and on the business and so you know and and most likely if you're listening to this you're not the exception to the rule you're not building that cash raining down business so you're going to have to build a team if you have to build a team that means getting good at hiring and good at getting good at training and onboarding people is going to be a critical skill how you hire and how you onboard people is going to determine how they hire and onboard people. So it's a really good skill to, to get good at, and and that includes whether it's virtual assistants, whether it's you know full time team members. Um, getting good at that, those processes are really important. Um, documenting the process gets important as you get away from the day to day. Like I don't know. Uh, what some of our our team in the Philippines or even, you know, some of our, our full-time you know, team here um, in Medellin right now are doing on a day-to-day basis. I don't know the exact processes anymore. So having those documented so that we can go back and review and make sure that they're kind of in line with the way that, you know, best practices and that kind of thing is important. Otherwise, you know, everyone starts kind of doing what they want or just kind of doing what seems right. And you have no, um, You know, there's no kind of like core to what's being done. So, you know, three people may do it three different ways, which for long term scaling and growth just isn't effective.
1: As somebody that's hired quite a few people, I imagine, while building building a location independent business, you mentioned uh, characteristics that you look for in a leader when you bring somebody to the team. So if somebody's building uh, also or trying to build a seven figure location independent business, what traits do you recommend looking for when when hiring people
0: so one of the things we do is we you know we kind of lay out the qualifications Uh and they're not um they're not traditional right so it's not like you don't have to have a degree necessarily you don't have to have a bunch of experience in the space we lay out kind of like the personality conditions the things that we're looking for uh for like a sales position versus a customer service position for example and so the reason we do that is um uh, this is something that uh, you know, steal from you know, a guy like Elon Musk. Where like, have you ever heard him talk about like his first principles? Where like, he doesn't look at what what everyone else is doing. He looks at what is actually needed, right? Instead of looking at like, how do I build um, a better truck? How do I take the current trucks that are out there and make them slightly better? He goes, what's actually required in a truck and what's not. So when we're hiring people, you know, we're we're looking at like do is a four-year degree necessary for the position? No, it's not. Okay, then we toss that requirement. So we're looking for like foundational people that we can actually build on and, and grow within our business. To be so, to be more specific about that, we lay out the requirements in the, the job post and we require them to um, to do a video, like a, up to a three-minute video, kind of explaining why they want the position, and, and we ask different questions depending on the position. So you know, our first round through, let's say there's. 30, 40 applicants for like one or two positions. Our whole goal is just to disqualify, Mm -hmm. right? It's like literally to look for questions they didn't answer, it's to look for people who didn't submit the video, for people who didn't submit um, any of the request information on the application. Anyone who didn't fill out the information, they're just gone immediately. It means they didn't follow directions or they weren't that interested or whatever. Then we actually look at the answers and see if there's anything that doesn't really align with what we're looking for. And then we do a quick review of the video, look for anything that doesn't seem like it'd be a fit or if they say anything or, or just are in a, you know, just doesn't seem like a really good fit. So that helps us narrow it down. Um, when you're hiring someone, you can think of it like a funnel. You know, the top are the most amount of people, right? So, thirty right. something applicants for let's say one position. I want to spend the least amount of time on those thirty people, right? Because if I dig in in, in some depth to those thirty people, it's gonna take me forever to hire someone. So I'm quickly skimming, just looking to drop. So if I can drop half the people on the first go around and only take a couple of minutes per person, that's fantastic. I mean. Bad, because 15 (laughs) people are gone, but fantastic for my goal of hiring, right? So I can get down to 15, 10 to 15 people. And then from there, we can do first interviews. So those will normally be like a 15, 20-minute interview max. Um, And, you know, the idea is just to to get a sense for did they research us? Do they have any sense on what we're doing? Do they seem like they'd be a good fit uh, for the position in terms of skill set, in terms of personality? And if all that's a fit, then they move on. Again, we're looking for reasons to disqualify. So if I can disqualify someone um, there, then great, right? Uh So for one position, if I get down to four or five people, then we do a second round of interviews. And in that, we're really looking for like a cultural fit. Like would they be good for our business? Can we sit down over beers at 1 a.m. in the morning, talk business, and be comfortable with that? Is that something that that we think is is likely to happen? Yeah. Um, So in the final phase, that's kind of what we're looking for, and and then we we bring them on board.
1: What's been your biggest challenge, Justin, building a a location-independent business?
0: Biggest challenge? Um, A a lot. (laughs) I I can't think of one thing that stands out, but there's been a lot of things. I mean, um, learning... Learning how to do this stuff, I mean, learning how to hire someone, making the mistakes in hiring, um, uh, making the mistakes in firing. Um, I think, uh, you know, figuring out how we compensate people, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are—we have a compensation plan in addition to like their kind of base pay and figuring how that looks and trying to, to work through that so that you're compensating someone um for the good that they do in the business, but not putting them in a position to where they ignore the things they actually need to do like the day to day tasks for more money. So compensation plans are challenging. Hmm. Um, a lot of our problems right now are HR related, like just, you know, um, <laughs> this sounds silly, but like, like healthcare, like how do we get a good health plan for everyone? When do we add them on? We were talking about, and this seems like a problem that, um, I don't know a solution for, you know, we don't need a full time HR person. We could probably use someone half time. We were actually thinking about like sharing. Maybe we could share an HR uh, professional with like one or two other businesses. and They could like do it for the three of us. I don't know.
1: Is there any other bits of wisdom that you'd like to share about building a location independent business before we sign off?
0: Yeah. I just say that, um, you know, a lot of other people are going to have suggestions and ideas on, on what kind of business you should build. Um, and you know, I, I think it's worth taking those ideas on board, at least hearing them out. Uh, but in the end, like, you know, you may or may not be successful following their path or your own, especially if those, those paths are at odds. So, you know, I'm not sure that the success is necessarily going to be based on, you know, their advice or your advice, you should probably stick with and build the kind of company that you'd be proud of, the kind of company that you want, rather than, um, you know, trying to take someone else's recommendations for faster growth or to build a bigger company. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen. So you might as well build the type of company you want and you'd want to work for yourself.
1: That's great advice. Justin, I think we're going to sign off there. But before we do, if the listeners want to reach out to you and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they can do that at?
0: Cool, man. Yeah, they can check us out, obviously, over at empireflippers.com. We've got a podcast and I'm on Twitter at Empire Flippers.
1: And I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on to the show and sharing all your tips and your tricks and your wisdom with us, Justin. Appreciate it very much, my friend. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me
1: on. And listeners, we're going to sign off there. Thank you guys for joining in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody the entrepreneur house creates business accelerators and curated environments for established entrepreneurs to help you scale your business rapidly coming this february 2018 we've teamed up with other successful entrepreneurs to create an all-inclusive digital detox camp in the wild mountains of brazil it will run from february 22nd to the 26th right after brazilian carnival and is held specifically for entrepreneurs digital nomads founders influencers thought leaders startups and those that need a break from the digital life it is located three hours Outside of Rio de Janeiro at the top of some of the most incredible mountains in South America. Literally, it's so far in a wilderness, there's no Wi Fi. But we'll be full of business and lifestyle workshops, high level masterminds, organic food, breathtaking views, campfires, hiking, swimming, waterfalls, yoga, many more activities, and a lot of time to clear our active minds. We have a special early bird offer for our listeners that expires January 15th, 2018. Be sure to check out the details at TheEntrepreneurHouse.com. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.